Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Sunday. It is the Lord's Day. It is. It is the Lord's Day. Every day is the Lord's Day, right? Yeah, but this one's got a special ring to it. Because it's Sunday. It's the day that Jesus rose. It is. Dude, I'm excited about Easter, man. That's coming up soon. That is coming up. That's yeah. in March this year. It's in March, and uh, we have some fun events planned as a church, events that you should already start thinking about because we're going to need all hands on deck. Yes. Um yeah, we're going to have, uh, first, uh, a Good Friday service on, uh, on Friday. <laughs> That's good. And, that we're doing it on yeah, Friday. On, on Friday. It's good. On Thursday, that'd be weird. Yeah, so that'll be at the school Friday evening. We will provide uh, more childcare than we did, I, I believe, for Christmas. I think we're going to elevate it through our lower elementary uh, offering there. But it'll be a, a shorter, uh, simple service reflecting on the cross. And then uh, Saturday is our big outreach for our community. We're going to be doing uh, the egg extravaganza. If you're mm-hmm. from uh, mm-hmm. uh, Compass Bible Church in California, you certainly remember that or recall that. We're going to try to bring that here. We're going to be back at the park where we had our family fest, right. Frisco Commons Park. And uh, we're going to have a, a big egg hunt for the kids and be there with food and church invitations and just trying to build relationships and inroads with people in the community. And then, of course, we'll be back on Sunday for uh, potentially two services. We're, we haven't really Uh-oh. hammered all out, oh, out okay. all the, the details on that. but I thought it was one, but um, okay. We could do two or three or seven. It, we'll do 18, 18 services. 18 services. Yeah. No, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what's going on. But uh, it's it's exciting. It's exciting. And, and on that note, I mean, egg hunts, right? Like we probably have some people that are, are listening that that get a little uncomfortable with the the concept of the Easter bunny and eggs and, and mm-hmm. is that okay for Christians? And, and yeah. we talked about that with Halloween, I think we a did. little bit. We did. Um, how do we address that when it comes to Easter? Man, this this gets a little a little dicey because I do I do feel for the Christian who says, look, this is not about that. These are distractions, and these are things that ultimately are deleterious to what the day really represents. I, and I understand that entirely. I get that. On the other hand, I would say that there is freedom in the Christian conscience to make a decision about how much of a certain cultural connection one endures and appreciates. For instance, I think on July 4th, we celebrate the nation and we recognize that it's good that we have freedom for now and that we have religious expression and all those things. And I, we participate in that. Mm-hmm. We don't uh, We don't abstain. We think it's right and good to honor the things that are honorable. And even though Easter, or rather Resurrection Sunday, is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's a cultural recognition. Loose as it, as it still might be, I think it's helpful and good that Christians maintain a presence of participation. So it's shrewd on our part. It is a shrewdness. We're, we're, we're practicing the wise as serpents and gentle as doves approach here by saying, look, we're going to do the Easter eggs because we know that you're going to do the Easter eggs. And we want to attract you to what we're doing because if we can, if we can buy an audience with you, we have an opportunity now to turn the conversation from eggs to Jesus. Now, again, it's a practice of shrewdness, and I think every church has to discern whether or not it's the right call for them, and particularly every Christian has to do that too. Yeah. But that would be my quick and my quick approach to that. What would you say, Pastor PJ? Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that, and and I think there is a line that we would say, well, we're not going to cross this. We're not going to have somebody dressed up as the Easter Bunny on Sunday morning. You're not going mean, to do that. No, sorry about that. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, we we do recognize, yeah, there's, there's a point at which 
and, and especially when, when we're talking about the worship services there, we don't want to distract from what those are about. Those are clearly to be focused on the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, right. and we want to keep the focus there. This is an event that we're doing on a Saturday and we're in the community and we're trying to continue to let people know in the community, hey, we're here and we care about you guys and we want to... Uh, to be a, a servant to you guys in, in this regard and, and provide a place for your kids to come out and do something safe and fun. And in the meantime, you're going to hear we're a church here and we want you to join us. We want you to see what the real reason for the holiday is about. Bingo. We're, we want you to realize that there are some things worth fighting about in, yep. in Christianity. And there's things that are not worth fighting about. Um, if you disagree with one of your neighbors about this, okay. Yep. I, I think you can respectfully disagree. Uh, for instance, we brought up uh, Alistair Begg a few, a few podcasts ago. Yesterday. Yep. I don't know when, but we did. Uh, I just want to add a couple quick things here. Now, number one, we love Alistair Begg. We love yep, him. We, we respect him. We've appreciated his ministry. We don't want anyone to be confused by that. Um, but in the same way, when someone says something publicly mm-hmm. that we would strongly disagree with, especially someone that we do so greatly respect, it's also important for us to say, like, here's here's why we disagree. Yeah. And to even say, look, there's really good reasons why we would reject that counsel and say, this is not good. This is bad. And still say, we love him. We respect him. So we just want you guys to know that, too. Yeah. He's a great pastor. You should listen to his preaching. You should read his books. He's got lots of great things. At the same time, we would say that's some counsel that he's given that we would strongly disagree with. Yep. Yeah, that's helpful. I would echo those sentiments as well. Well, let's get into Genesis chapter 46 and 47. We're almost finished with this book, man. We are almost finished with Genesis. Two books. Second book of the year. Two books in. Yep. We'll only have 64 left. That's it. That's That's it, it, man. That's it, man. Hey, Genesis 46, it opens up with this comment that uh, Israel, or Jacob, takes his journey with all that he had, and he came came to Beersheba. Um, We don't always stop down and talk about the locations. This one I I do want to point out because uh, you'll hear bookends in the, the scripture talking about Dan to Beersheba, Dan to Beersheba. So what this is, is it's representing basically the, the far northern boundary, which is Dan, and the far southern boundary, which is here at Beersheba, of the promised land. And so in this case, Israel comes to the edge of the promised land, and, and he stops there, and there's kind of a, a, a con- contemplative moment, I think, for him, and then also God appears to him and speaks to him, where he's really going, okay, do I want to do this? Do I want to leave the promised land? This is the land of my forefathers. This is the land that has been promised to my people is this okay that I'm leaving here to go down to Egypt? I don't know when I'm going to come back. Israel's probably thinking, I'm not going to come back. This is it. I'm going to go down there and and I'm going to die. And I'm going to die not in the promised land. And he's got to feel some uneasiness about that. So he stops here at the edge of the promised land. And I think it's significant there. God shows up to him and gives him permission and says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, he says there in verse 4. And I'll bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So uh, this is a significant moment because Israel, the figurehead, but then also Israel, the nation, is leaving the promised land and going to Egypt. And uh, they're going to be there for 400 years before they return. And uh, and we're going to get to the return sooner than later. It's going to feel like it's not 400 years, but right. uh, th- this is a significant moment in the life of Israel, the individual, but also in the life of Israel, uh, the nation, the people of Israel. Yeah, so you have a long list of names after that. You have people that are coming and going. Um, just notice here that the, the number 70 is going to reappear in a few chapters here. So yep. the end of 46, not the end of 46, uh, verse 27. It says here that all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Not a big number when, nope. you, when it comes down to it, but that's not going to stay that way. So just pay attention, put it, put a note in, or a pin into that. We're going to revisit that number in a few chapters. Yeah. Also, Acts 7.14 says that it was 75 people. What gives, man? Well. Explain. 
Acts 7. Explain, uh, Lucy. <laughs> Acts 7 is the, the chapter where uh, Stephen is giving his his defense, and he's going through the history of, uh, of the Israel, Israelite people and recounting all of these things and, and showing how hard-hearted the Israelites had been towards God and his deliverers uh, from the time of Moses onward. And uh, here in Acts 7.14, he says there were 75 persons in all, and what he's doing there is he's quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so Stephen's understanding, Stephen's awareness, Stephen's Old Testament was the Septuagint. And so he's quoting from what he reads there. So is it 70? Is it 75? Is this something that we need to panic about? No, we don't need to panic about this. This is a a minor variation that we see sometimes between the translations between the Septuagint and the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew text, the, the, the text that our ESV is based off of. And the ESV text here says 70. Uh, which one was it, 70 or 75? I think 70 lines up with the actual calculation when you consider uh, the, the numbers as, as we bear them all out. And so I, I would err on 70, but I, I don't think it's it's anything to, to panic about that Stephen said 75. I agree. The yeah. number's repeated. I think that's probably the right reading. Yeah. Uh, also, one more thing to note in uh, in the list of names, 4612, this is the line of Christ. Again, just to point this out, you've got Judah and then you've got Perez, remember Perez came from Tamar, and then from Perez comes Hezron and Hamul. Now, the one that is going to continue the line of Christ is Hezron. And you say, well, how do we know that? Again, the genealogy in Matthew chapter one is super helpful for us to trace the lineage here. Okay. I just thought of something that maybe would be worth talking about really quickly. Yeah. Um, we as Christians who trust our Bibles would say that there's no contradictions in the Bible. Correct. Okay. Stephen says 75. What we're reading right here says 70. That sounds like a contradiction. How might we answer that? Yeah. Well, it's, again, Stephen is is preaching. He's, and he's quoting. He's quoting. Yeah. Right. And so as he's he's quoting, as he's preaching, he's quoting from, again, the, the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint is a translation. It is not the autograph. It is not the original. And that's right. when we don't have the autographs. We right. do not have the original manuscripts that were written by the original authors. Right. For New Testament or Old Testament. Neither. Yeah. And so when uh, when Stephen quotes from this, it's like Stephen quoting from a, a, a translation that we have today, and that translation says something a little bit different from another translation. Right. We're going to say, well, this is ultimately a translation. This is not the autograph. We, the autograph, we're left as as pastors to say, well, what do we think it was the, the original writing there? And, and for the reasons that we gave, we, we think 70 is probably the, the best interpretation here. Right. And, and on top of that, you would also say that what Scripture records in the New Testament is accurate and true to what happened. Yeah, that is exactly what Stephen said. So we would still say that our scripture is inerrant and infallible, and it's true in all that it affirms. On on top of that, so when you see that difference, this is not a contradiction. We're saying this is we're recording what Stephen actually said. Right. Uh, Stephen could have been wrong in what he said in terms of saying it was seventy five as opposed to seventy because of what he was using in that day. Which again, Septuagint Greek translation, which is what basically all the references in the New Testament are. Yep, they're all from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So that's important to know. And, and, and you'll hear liberal scholars and, and critics and, and perhaps even some of your professors in, in your, your, the echoes of your mind, and, and it, it, these are the things that they're going to point out and see the Bible, to your point, Pastor Rod, has errors. Look, here's the, the errors in it. But no, Stephen doesn't say, uh, oh, and, and uh, by the way, Moses wasn't a real person. And uh, yeah. oh, by the way, uh, God didn't part the Red Sea. And oh, by the way, Jesus didn't die on the cross for, for our sins. And so when we talk about textual variants, um, manuscripts disagreeing with each other, whether it's the Septuagint disagreeing with the Masoretic text or uh, two Greek manuscripts disagreeing with each other, we're talking about variants that are very small in the grand scheme of things like this. Uh, no, There are zero significant variants that exist out there that call into question any major doctrine of 
doctrine of Christianity. In fact, even Bart Ehrman, who is one of the leading critics, by no means a friend of the church or a friend of, of, of inerrancy and authority of scripture, even he will admit there are no uh, variants in any manuscript that call into question any of the significant doctrines of Christianity. Right. They're, they're, they're minor things that we're dealing with here that uh, in, the, in the big picture, most of them can be resolved when you look at the textual evidence and, and you can land pretty, pretty certainly on, on what it was. So that's right. Yeah. Well, Hey, uh, Genesis 40, Genesis 46, 29, uh, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet his father in Goshen and he presented to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while reunited. reunited you and I lockstep on so that. Good. The, the other scene that I had in mind is, is elf. When elf first sees his dad again, he's like, <laughs> I thought we could go do this and we could go do this. And yeah, we could go. That's <laughs> funny. Like Joseph's like, we could go see the pyramids and then we could go <laughs> down to the Nile river and I'll show you where. <laughs> yeah. I, I can imagine that. Yeah. Um, well, and, and then, you know, Israel says, Hey, I I'm satisfied now I can, I can die. And uh, Joseph's probably like, wait, wait a minute. Not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We, we've been apart for so long. Let's, uh, let's catch, catch up, up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Joseph then proceeds to take care of his family in verses 31 through 34, as he said he would to his brothers. Chapter 47, then, um, as the, the family patriarch, uh, Joseph, uh, or, or Jacob, rather, Israel, goes to meet with Pharaoh. And here, as Israel is meeting with Pharaoh, he blesses Pharaoh. And that's because the family patriarch, part of the greeting of Pharaoh, would have included this blessing on the king. And uh, it's an interesting scene here because Pharaoh's like, okay, dude, how old are you? And uh, he asks him this question. The average Egyptian lifespan at this time was 110 years old. Um, And Israel at this time was 130. 130. So he gone 20 years past that and he was going to live another 17 years past this. Of that. Crazy. So Pharaoh was impressed by Israel's what age. supplements are you taking? Yeah. Is this a red light therapy situation? Right. What's How going on? Yeah. Yeah. And so he wants to know. He's, he's, he's curious. Verses 13 through 21 then it really gives us a glimpse into Joseph's administration. He amasses money and land and people for Pharaoh. And, and what he's doing in here actually has far-reaching repercussions because the power that Pharaoh has in the beginning of Exodus, which we're going to see here in a few, a few days, a lot of that goes back to this time when Joseph is shrewdly, for, for this Pharaoh at least, buying up property and land and setting laws in place and establishing policies and procedures that really put a lot of power in the hands of Pharaoh himself. So that by the time the Israelites begin to multiply in the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh does have the ability and the power to do what he does there to God's people in the future. So it's interesting. It it helps the people now, but it's ultimately not going to be super good for the people of Israel in the future. Right. Uh, One thing I want to point out here is that this, the statements about the city of Ramses, uh, Ramses, you see this in verse uh, 11, verse 11, which at this point seems like it's an anachronism. Uh, Based on the timeline that we would affirm, we think that the Exodus happened about 1445, BC, um, the Ramses wasn't there at that point. At least he, he, him, known as a pharaoh, he's not on the scene yet. So one thing I want to point out is that as Moses is writing, this is possible that he's using names and conventions that people would have understood at the present time when he wrote, and reference to the past as he's detailing the account. So there's there's some there's some question there about why they use Ramses, or, or potentially a future editor takes that city mm-hmm. and says, oh, no, this is the city of Ramses. They'll know which one we're talking about if we refer to that. So it'd be like, uh, it'd be like talking about one of, the, uh, one of the cities that recently developed um, in, in the context of, you know, 20 years later, you're talking about that city as though it were a present-day city or a 
I'm confusing myself here, bro. Ramses probably may not have been the name of the city at that time, what I'm getting to. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Even in Exodus, when he talks about Ramses in, in, in Python or Python, we don't know exactly where those were because there were many, many cities that went by that name. There were many locations that would go by those names. And so we, even to, to pinpoint exactly which one that is or what that that's referring to uh, is, is difficult for us. But right. yeah, Moses is writing this, writing this from the the perspective of of pretty far down the road, and uh, and writing about things that would have made sense to his his audience. Probably at the time of the of his of the transition to the Promised Land, right? I mean, the uh, yeah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch was probably written closer yep. to the end of his life. Yeah, right? that was the idea here. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, verse twenty seven. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. This is a callback to uh, the creation language when God uh, gave the, the creation mandate: be fruitful and multiply. This is a callback to the the Abrahamic covenant that that Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So, God is at work fulfilling things here in the uh, the Abrahamic covenant. And just in, in these two chapters, there are good reminders of God's faithfulness to his people and to us as, as individuals. God was kind to allow Jacob, for example, to see Joseph again and to spend lost time with him before his death. That's such a good reminder that God does care about even small things like that. Like we look at the situation and, and Jacob was bereaved of his son for so long, 17 plus years. And that, that, that's hard. And yet here we see a, God's kindness in bringing those 17 years back to Israel and he gets to spend those time that time with his son there in Egypt before he does eventually pass away. Really sweet. God does care for his people. Yep. And small in particular ways that are just special. I remember when I came to Texas for the first time, I was uh you know, is this gonna little, be a Texas Twinkie store? No, it's not actually. Oh, okay. It's uh-huh. not. Uh we one of the first things that we did is we went to the Salina What's it? Uh, Cinco de Mayo because we got here in May. Yeah. So we went to the Salina Cinco de Mayo celebration thing. And, you know, we're fresh on the block here, brand new to the city. And lo and behold, there was one of my favorite treats just sitting there looking at me. It was elote. Yeah. Elote. You know what elote is, bro? Uh, For our audience, you may not know elote. Elote is basically corn on the cob with uh, butter. No, 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 no. It's uh, mayonnaise and then chili powder. I can't believe it's not butter. And it's amazing. That's basically, oh, and some some lime and maybe some tahini. It is otherworldly. And there it was in the Salina Town Square. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. What a, what a sweet gesture. I was just, I was just so uh, delighted by that. God does care about us. He does. He does care about us for sure. So, hey, keep reading your Bibles and join us tomorrow as we finish up the book of Genesis. Wow. See you then, guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.